Welcome back to an all-new Super Metal Brothers podcast where it's System Check, Neon Black. I beat you to it, Danny. I know he was starting with that. I am Super Metal Brother Matt. And I'm Super Metal Brother Dan. We've had a great week and um, obviously you guys want to know my thoughts about Michael Emmett's latest talks, but uh, more importantly, Dan, how are you going there? Yeah, not bad. I did the um, stupid mistake of shaving my head too much over the uh, week, which it's not really the best thing during winter, like those cold wintry nights at... uh, so good. Preaching to the choir, man. I uh, got on the bolding train far before you did. Uh, people actually felt sorry for me for a long time, like I was like a burn victim or something. They're like, oh, I'm really sorry you had to lose your hair so early. And I was like, well, it wasn't a problem until you kind of made it an issue of mine. The worst is like when you first shave it, your head's not tanned yet, so you look like one of those old cone head things, so that's... That's worse. Anyway, I'll it doesn't over. improve your chances of getting laid. And seeing as I was patching a zero for none, it uh, didn't help anything. But today we are talking about, you know, all the classics. We have got a podcast question to the fans. And the question this week is talking, uh, sorry, taking about musicians and musicians that have changed your life. So we've gone out to the fans and asked them, who has been a musician that has changed your life for the better or for some reasons the worst? Uh, we've got the latest review of Anthrio's album Transcendence. But first, that's right, the news. We are talking the news and straight off the bat, Halstrom, Lizzie Hale, known as the rock goddess, shredder of all shredders to some, but we don't want to talk about Metal Hammer's Golden Gods Wars unless we very much have to. Yeah, that must really... Sucked, man. Knowing that she's going to release a new album straight away, they've already earmarked her in to the shredder of the year. Yeah. It's amazing that this lasts, but no, to be fair, she's actually taking a bit of the light away from her and putting it on her brother, who's actually the drummer. And apparently, took over the drums when they were kids, and yeah, but apparently, everyone's excited about this guy. So, no, no, they might ignore her shredding award and give him the uh, rolling award. Oh, I was more interested about how she's come out this week and said that her album will definitely rock, as opposed to the other albums that were not rock music. Or, in fact, a uh, hybrid of heavy metal, perhaps, Danny. Maybe. Uh, the last album was actually a cover album, so that that was probably terrible. Yeah, it's a label album. Uh, when it comes to a cover album, you know that the label's been like, uh, you haven't released anything in three minutes, and we're not making any money off you guys. Um, what I want to talk about, though, is the um, producer. They've got what they're doing for this next album that's coming out, is they picked a producer before they wrote any songs. So I'm guessing this is the exact same thing about... Uh, Working's really hard. We don't like doing it. Producer, tell us what riffs are good so we don't have to figure it out for ourselves. That's awesome. It's like when you go home like on a Friday night after school, like, yeah, this is the best. And then the Sunday night comes, you're like, oh, you had that report you had to finish? That's right. And, and you go like, oh, yeah, mum and dad, can you like do my report for me? Can't someone else do it? <laughs> <laughs> Who can clean the bar? See, the Simpsons have been foreshadowing things for such a long time, you know, um, and this is no different. The guy they're getting to... Well, they're refer- we're referring to is uh, Nick Raskuknitz. We don't know how to pronounce his name either. Um, apparently, he's a claimed producer because he's worked with Rush, Corn, Alice in Chains, and the Deftones. But uh, what can he do to help his Lizzie Hale and the Hailstroms go into the rock era of their music that hasn't been rocking before? Uh, I don't know. There Let's, is no reason. Yeah, okay, good, yeah. King. 810 guitarist Andrew Bill arrested on a weapon charge. We don't know what it is. We can only expect. Was it his penis, Danny? <laughs> no, that thing was discharged a long time ago, I reckon. <laughs> apparently, yeah, this is like the third or so time they've got in trouble regarding their guns, man. You know, normally guns out, sun out, guns out. In this case, no, no, no. Stay in the winter because we don't want to see your guns, man. And that's what's happened. They've got done for um. Uh, was it concealing a weapon, chucked into the slammer, got five grand bail? And, yeah. yeah, well, the five grand bail, that's uh, for a metal band, a touring cycle album. So that there goes that latest release going straight into their uh, jail fund, I'd imagine. Well, yeah, it makes it um, a bit tricky because they have another big tour happening in England in the Bloodstock Festival. So they really want to make sure they can get their five Gs all organized so they can get their singer out. Well, you know, maybe water pistols these days are designed not just for kids but for adults as well. Painting it black, who's to know, right? Doesn't matter because we're going to talk about Dream Theater's next album as well. Rumor has it that John Petrucci has talked about eight strings for it. Now, we know with Awake, they was the first album that they released as a progressive metal band that they went to seven strings. And like, all musicians who go into the unfamiliar territory, you know what they do, Danny? Steal off for better bands. And so Pantera was in the mix. That okay. track seven is unapologetically uh, Pantera, and they would have you admit it too. We did review Adagio, 
and most metal bands that go into eight strings do sound like Meshuggah, and if they don't, they really should try ripping off more Meshuggah. <laughs> um, Not the Meshuggah's last album. <laughs> oh, no. God. Well, the only problem is they ripped off Meshuggah too much, and we had their last album. What, Meshuggah ripped Sugar off too yeah, much? Yeah, that's right, and that's a problem. So double negatives. Double negatives. They're always a problem, yeah. So when you have too much sugar in something, you get diabetes. <laughs> and right now, I'm thinking that Dream Theater might have to hack off an arm or something because I don't know if having eight strings is the best thing. Why? Because you generally find that with seven strings, you can still manage to keep your speed, intensity, songwriting and that. Going at eight strings, man, even a Dodger had to submit. They had to tap out and do nothing over 120 BPMs, man. It was like, that's the way it is. Well, if if you're that bored of playing the guitar regularly, either learn opposite handed like Michelangelo, or just guys change instruments. So, yeah, you, know, you have a shot on the drums. Drummer Magnini goes to freaking piano. Yeah, That's right. right. Just Petrucci, you've obviously mastered the guitar, and now you're getting bored. And Lebrie can sing. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! No! <laughs> nah, he's right. No, he's fine for for a guy who's just starting to get into uh, it. No, <laughs> Some no, people take longer no. than others, and maybe eight hours into it. You know, um, sorry to any Libri fans out there. Um, you know, let's go on to another story that will make you sad though, with uh, Pantera's or ex Pantera's bass player Rex Brown. Uh, Vinnie Paul doesn't speak to him either. Now we know that Vinnie Paul doesn't speak to Anselmo for legit reasons. I think you know. It was a bit of a dick. They were having a fallout before, um, you know, uh, what happened to Dimebag happened. Um, but why Rex? Oh, I don't know. It's just, I guess, is that I mean, when you want to separate yourself from a band, maybe Vinny just went um, completely separated. But then Rex Brown released his memoirs, what, a year or two ago. Right. Apparently those memoirs annoyed Vinny more. I reckon some of that was a bit fabricated. And Rex said, oh, you know, there was 10 different versions of the tr- of edits and Stuff which he didn't want be put in got put into the final edit. Oh, that's but, um, bad. Yeah, it's bad. But like, well, yeah, you, you would have written it at one stage. At one stage, you would have accepted it to be true. Look, I'm not getting that. I don't know the whole story. Yeah. But I guess Lavinia Paul, he just I don't think he's ever interested in doing Pantera again. It's probably too painful for him. Just pain, man. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's a lot of ill will around her, and it's probably not good to go back. The Rex Brown, the never say never. It seems like the hope always comes from the other team, but there is just no chance. Every time anyone's asked Vinnie Paul, he just gets more and more frustrated with it. Um, a little bit about how people ask you about when you're going to go to your zero down and you finally see even you finally submitted to it so maybe there is hope for all to hear this Pantera reunion yeah if you're going to like combine a haircut with like a guy getting over his brother's death what what did I just do Danny <laughs> oh I'm what sorry what did yeah. I just do so I just came through the door hey I'm, I'm super <laughs> brother Dan yeah Sammy Hagar, uh, hypothetical Van Halen reunion a classic Van Halen lineup potentially he wants to give the fans one of the greatest rock set list of all time, coming from an egomaniac like a singer. No one else could better say it, Danny. Yeah, true, but like he said, he, he was willing to share the limelight with David Lee Roth. It was even his idea to have both singers um, alternate between songs throughout the set. So, like, he's keen as mustard for it, apparently. Unless Michael Anthony's on bass. So, what I really want to ask the fans and the band is, so tell me why, Danny, can't this be a big band reunion? I was going to say love. But I didn't. <laughs> Matt, that came straight from the heart. <laughs> Tell me why. Getting this, hey, is that the Blue Angels? Oh, our budget's increased. Uh, oh, yeah, no. Possible, unlikely. I mean, Kevin Two Singers here at stage is just, it's just not enough. This, the stage is only limited to pace, and a singer's ego fills 90% of that room on stage, you know. The next 10% is equipment and possibly other band members. So I don't see it happening. It's very ambitious, but, uh, you know. They're going to spend all the time fighting about who wants a bigger stage and who wants the more lighting. Oh, yeah. I was really frustrated because there was, well, seven or so years ago, there was actually rumors of Van Halen headlining like a festival here, and it just never happened. That was frustrating. Oh, terribly frustrating. But then again, I was never a massive Van Halen fan. I was and still are a Deep Purple fan. Danny, Glenn Hughes has come out and saying the success of the Burn album was a very much a glorious a really glorious moment, I must add. Why? Uh, probably for his career was because that kind of shot him in the spotlight. I can't really remember what he was doing before that happened, but it was pretty much... Point point taken, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, So, I mean, yeah, he's done quite well out of it. He's still continuing strongly. I mean, for bass player, he had a really good voice as well. Hit all the higher notes while Coverdale did all the low, medium range stuff. So, a bit of dichotomy is always good. Was Stormbringer after that? I can't remember. Because he was on that, wasn't uh, he, as well? Yeah, he was on that, yeah. 
But now I think Burn was first, and then it was Stormbringer. Okay. Was Fireborn there? Because I, I know Fireborn. at the time, and it says from the article, Richie Blackmore wanted to go into a more bluesy direction, and those albums definitely are more bluesy, aren't they, Danny? Yeah, Burn. I think Burn still has a bit of funk going on with it as well. So, but that's that's what it is. Bass player he loves that. You know, more emphasis on the blues and the funk. It's all about the bass. Yeah. So if you've uh, perked it up, you want to hear some old school rock and roll, hard rock, heavy rock. I guess heavy rock, hard rock. Nah, not quite there because of the bluesy element. But it's good stuff, you know. Uh, Glenn Hughes knows who he's talking about. Um, we want to move on to Clown now from Slipknot. Uh, not all is going well in the Slipknot camp, potentially. They are not waiting for Corey Taylor to work on the new album. Corey Taylor is on tour quite a lot with his uh, Stone Sour and getting his kid up on stage to feel that emptiness that I would like to feel one day about being proud or happy about something. That's great. Yeah, he's also got a, his book came out today as well, Corey Taylor. So he's probably going to travel after... He finishes doing his music tour, doing a book signing tour, I'm guessing. So, yeah. Well, Clowns laid it down, you know, as the angriest, probably the angriest member of the band. And that's saying something because these guys are, aren't very happy with almost anything through the 90s and the early 2000s. Um, do you see them actually doing it? They reckon this is a bit of a threat, like just to say, uh, you know, Corey, you know, you're not answering my calls. We are working on this album. You might want to consider getting your ass back to uh, Iowa, as I imagine, some some more of the angriest places in America. Well, yeah, they've committed to everyone getting together in September and spending time writing the album. So, hey, apparently this is a big album. It's a sixth album. So, fame's a big deal. Apparently, the clown guy says number six is a very important number. In he's speaking like you know, in you know, philosophy and mathematics and stuff. That six is a grand number, and he's apparently the sixth member of Fate of Slipknot. So, yeah. for a band that said. I want to cut you open and have sex with your wound. This is awfully profound. Yeah, but we grow, Matt, don't we? Like, you <laughs> so know. what are they having sex with these days? <laughs> <laughs> number six. <laughs> <laughs> They've gone off and decapitated there's, corpses. There's a numbers. hole in the six. Uh, Dave Mustaine... Who would the singer best fit Megadeth, Danny? No one's ever asked the question. I don't think they've ever even have a singer right now. They have a guy on oh, the vocals. <laughs> Did you think that LaBrie was the only one that we didn't like uh, in the metal industry? Actually, we talked about Mamsi last week, so it's more people we, yeah. Come on, like going through hearing, you know, like Hangar 18 and songs like that and, you know, all the classic uh, albums from Megadeth, um, it's something about his voice that if it wasn't there and something else was there, would it make it better? It's always hard, isn't it? I think mm. that's with everybody. Like I know Warrell Dane going back to Nevermore is always um, very contrasting to people because he has a very distinct tone that some people can think not, might not enjoy it as much. But he suited the music again. Mustaine, does his does his tone suit the music? It's hard to say. I mean, like, he's given two other people who he thought about. Yeah singing for Megadeth but both straight away he always shuts it down straight away like oh that person had problems I'm glad I didn't pick them or that person wasn't good so I'm glad I picked them so it's just a backhanded thing he didn't. He never contemplated having another singer in the band no that was never a question but the hypothetical what if scenario is kind of like if someone asked you you know would you oh I don't know jump off a cliff to save a loved one or they would die and you would get a million dollars you know something like those completely arbitrary nonsensical questions uh, like just humor people yeah just the humor and that's the same thing it's like what other single be in the band it's like dude if i can't sing the band's over you know yeah. like, there's no chance yeah man and, just figured that out man yeah. no nah, nah, i want to have proper singers no like, nah, i don't need singers singers overrated no nah, no nah, anyone can talk like, i'm doing it right now la, 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 la. there you go singing like how hard is it really you know uh kerry king reacts to fans saying that slayer is not the same without jeff uh, Lombardo, uh, so Jeff uh, Hanneman and um, and Lombardo. Lombardo, and shockingly, he actually answered in a polite, <laughs> correct, and uh, very sincere manner. It's very succinct, though. He's like, "Yes, it effing is." <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah, he was so sincere. He pretty much just said what you'd think he would say. It's the same. It's just different, and we keep on going. And no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, pretty much before he got angry, like he's like. Tattoo on his head like glows. <laughs> and- well, it, the the uh, tattoos are there to cover his veins because he gets upset so often <laughs> now that if it's covered by things, people don't run away from his sight. You know, yeah, kids, yeah. relatives. You know, Superman brother Dan. But um, yeah. What what did you think he was going to say? You know, he, he. In fact, right now the problem is between him and uh, the existing member, which was the uh, bass player at the moment. Um, for, God damn, I can't believe I can't remember his name. That big tall guy with the bushy hair. 
watch. Yeah, I don't know. There you go. Yeah. There you go. That's your metal thing. Anyway. Um, oh, Tom Array is the good bass player. Thank you, Tom yeah, Array. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Danny. Yeah, there we go. I, was, I thought I was going to say Santa. I'm like, I, I don't see anyone sat. He could play Santa. Santa. Yeah. He could play Metal boards. Uh, so, now we're going to go to Mike Portnoy. He uh, reacts to people saying that he's in too, metal, too many metal bands or too many bands in general. Uh, he doesn't see it as a problem. I mean, how many bands can you fill that void of leaving the best band in metal? Oh, I went there. Oh man, I feel so bad for him, but at the same time, I'm like, dude, he really wants in, man. He just really wants it, you know. And um, it's like, you know, he dated the, the the finest China, and he just wanted once to go out and bang another broad. And she said you can, but then he'll be gone forever, and he wants to go back. And he she's now found another guy to make happy. Mm. Another well, four guys because you know that's the way it works. Grass is never greener. Yeah. Oh, I see. That's clever, Matt. Yeah. 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 But apparently it's not 87 bands. He's only in 27 or 28 bands. Oh god. Oh, don't trolls. Take it easy. If like if people just would be serious all the time and never exaggerate and make jokes, then you wouldn't offend musicians who are struggling with uh, some depression. You now know. You have to dye his beard another color. Oh. So you've upset him. Look, we're trying to help you out, Portnoy. Just keep playing. Um, what band, Danny, do you want to see Mike Portnoy in? His drumming is pretty good. He can drum a good drum. Do you think off the top of your head that uh, if something were to go wrong or someone should like maybe sabotage someone else's drum kit, you know, if to put the brakes on it, they drive through a truck, they're dead, they need a new drummer, who's that going to be? Under the pedal, they've got like a bit of dynamite, so they push the pedal down and dynamite you know, like, you know those Bugs Bunny cartoons yeah. where it's like, do, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, you're playing it wrong. <laughs> Knocks out the bass player. Know. Um, Who's going to be the band that a porno can be in? Uh, I reckon something like, he seems to be going down that rock path, so yeah. I reckon it'd be like Volbeat, man. I think yeah. that's the next band he'll go to. Uh, I think I think he's just trying to keep it simple these days. Yeah. yeah. You can't, uh, come to him with a journalist mob. So well, no. To be fair, he said there's only two bands he's left. One was Dream Theater, and, and the other was Adrenaline Mob. So he actually yeah. left them. I was like, oh, oh I know, right? I, I, I would leave that band it's, as well. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I mean, look, look what happens to like the bass players. Oh, <laughs> oh jeez, <laughs> you're, you're, you're in the band one minute, yeah. and then the God's like, no, this band sucks. <laughs> it takes one fifth of the band or one fourth of the band. Be or? Careful, bass players and, and transport. You're him. You're the a guy from Metallica as well, Fletcher Burden. So, geez, don't. Be a bass player. Don't drive by. Um, yeah, don't bus. don't be in a, in a in a touring bus and don't be in a metal band. Cause uh, yeah, you're right. That is kind of tragic, actually. And I think about it. Oh. Is it time to talk about our main event before we go to the podcast question of the week? What? Oh, yes. Hold on. Hold on. Oh. Hold on. Hold on. I'm just gonna stand up because cause this is gonna make me upset. Hold on. All right. So Matthew's like he's prepping himself, and I'm gonna keep talking so he can't get angry. Right. Oh, no, he's back now. Right. Arch enemy. Arch enemy. Oh, Michael Amott. Let's talk about Michael Amott from Arch Enemy. He had an interview with a metal magazine and he went on to ask, answer the question that the internet is asking. And I know that sounds clickbaity because you know, everyone says that about everything, but I think sincerely that if you're in the heavy metal, hard rock, or into good music category, you want to know why Jeff Loomis did not write on the latest album of Arch Enemies called Will to Power. Yeah, well, apparently he's been around for three years in Arch Enemy now. I can't believe it's been that long. So he would have had time to get a couple of riffs in there. Mm. Yeah. But let's go through the reasons why he didn't think Jeff Loomis was quite up to being, uh, giving the riffs or helping the songwriting in, obviously, the best heavy metal band going around wow. right now. At least I'd like to think that's what Michael Hammond was thinking. Are you only saying they're the best metal band going around because Jeff's in there? All right. Uh, right. First point. Let's uh, let's uh, start hacking away at this bad boy. Michael Amart has said, but we have very contrasting styles, which is great. He can play a lot of stuff on guitar that I can't play, and I can play stuff on the guitar that he can't play. All right. <laughs> Mate- what? <laughs> Can he not play that you can play? What is it? What is it? Is, is, is Mary Had a Little Lamb in, in C minor harder than B flat minor and he can't do it? Uh, is, I don't know, has Michael Hammer got like Steve Five Fingers and he can reach like yeah. the whole neck Can he play 17 that octaves way? anyway? Yeah. Loomis could do it anyway. He's fast enough even if he can do it. <laughs> he freezes I can't time note, think yeah. of a single thing. Is Legato stronger than Loomis? Like, Loomis got better Legato. His picking accuracy is far stronger. His sweeping is better. He can use different um, techniques like tapping and stuff like that. I Maybe he can't drink a coffee as good as Emma at the same time as playing the intro to uh, Ravenous. 
Like, there must be another gimmick we don't know about because I cannot figure out what it is that he can do that Jeff Maybe he can't do, like, guitar tricks. You know, guys can spin around their necks or they flip and stuff. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's got yeah. this... Maybe Jeff Loomis has this phobia that if he flips the guitar around his head, his his uh, wife will leave him or, you know, something tragic will happen, like um, nuclear strike on Syria, you know, like... Um, or, or, or North Korea to America. It's going to happen, apparently. So... We're going to have to give him a no on that, really. Come on, let's be honest. All right, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you want any example, just go ahead and pick up an album like his solo project stuff. Um, that's great stuff on there, you know. Um, both of them are really good. I would recommend, though, the latest one, which has got Planes of Oblivion. Get that. And just, and then there is no argument. You'll hear track two and go, okay, there is no argument. Jeff Loomis can, is a champ. Right, okay. Point two. I mean, he's a strong songwriter, but not in the style of Arch Enemy, I feel. Oh, God. Okay, here we go. He's always writing and recording with his own stuff. He was in a project called Conquering the Soviet, and he always had his solo stuff, and he wrote for Nevermore. All right, time out. Okay. Actually, before you say that, it's actually interesting how he phrased that. It's like, oh, if you didn't know, he also was in this thing called Concrete Stopia and Nevermore. It's like, yeah, we all know who Jeff Lambert is, mate. Yeah. One, we know those bands, right? But let's go to your example with Concrete Dystopia. And I really wish he did some research because he would be aware that Jeff did not write on those albums. He actually did yeah. the solos, but the riffs were written by Mero. So when you're saying, well, I don't think your style works because the stuff that you did with Keith Mero is not quite going to fit in Archenemy. Well, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> what other mysteries are you going to solve today with that Nancy Drew haircut of yours? It's so infuriating. And then he talks about Nevermore. Oh, yeah, like the stuff in Nevermore you couldn't slot on, a, on an Archenemy album and no one would know any different. Come yeah. on. Yeah, really? Look, yeah. Let's talk about what about some tracks that would fit on an A Arch Enemy so oh I don't know. You could probably fit all of uh, Dead Heart and Dead World on a um on an Arch Enemy track and that would probably In fact, you know what you should, they should do is do that album again. Call it Dead Heart and Dead World. Get rid of Alyssa and put, you know, a singer in there. Um probably one called Warrell Dane. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you can get rid of the guitarist Mark cuz he's obviously been writing Arch Enemy songs and there you go. Get what you probably need John Van Williams as well, you know. So um there you go. There's your lineup. Um, he, he gives you the false hope that he's going to do something in the future with it. And with the, uh, we got a lot of common ground, Danny. I, uh, I think the one thing we know as a fact is that Loomis will be leaving this band at some point. Oh, definitely right. I think a lot of us, uh, glad Loomis found a project, at least so his name's too out there and he'll probably get a good steady paycheck, which is not common for metal guys, but you're correct. If... You know, he's a songwriter. You know, he really wants to get out there. I could imagine the one stuff. reason and the one reason only why Amot chose Jeff to be in Arch Enemy is marketing. Yeah, that that golden locks. You reckon? They get him in. He's good looking for a start, right? All right, settle down. All right, yeah, I know, I know. He knows his way around a fretboard. All right, settle down. And away my heart. All right, settle down. And he knows everything, but he is the most well-renowned solo musician in metal right now. He just is. He's known as one of the best guitarists in metal that is a free agent, you know? And he's got himself a name from being that virtuosic freak show that is actually generally a good songwriter. Yeah. And attributed to doing it. Um, You know, your Rusty Cooleys and your Michelangelo's can write riffs to a degree, but they're not known for their songwriting per se. They really put their solo past that, you know? Yeah, look how fast I can play. Wee! Um, So that was it. Because you have the keys... And I read this as an article... Uh, actually, I was I was looking through the comment sections of an Arch Enemy, the film clip they got released, and a fan said it best. He said, it's like owning a Lamborghini and irking and taking it down to the shops to buy milk. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's what you're doing with Jeff Loomis. Free Jeff Loomis. I feel like doing <laughs> those... You know those um, Greenpeace things? How they like, yeah, free yeah. The, like free the whales and stuff like that? I honestly feel right now that Jeff Loomis is is bound against his will. you like Tim Costello out there saying, yeah. hey... Would you like to donate to yeah. say the Jeff Loomis scores? And off chance that uh, Lisa might give him like touch him funny or like uh, he he'll write a song and a riff that will actually get noticed from uh, the crowd that he actually deserves to be acknowledged by. Maybe like one day he like snaps on stage and just starts soloing and they can't stop him soloing. Yeah. No, he's like no. you see the tears from his eyes start coming down. He's crying. I must do this. <laughs> and then you'll have the crowd be like, yeah, doom. And then the music will hit and then this like uh, the band will come in. They'll pick him up and. <laughs> and He'll put his guitar on Warrell Dane. Let's go home, Jeff. 
Oh my god. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, if only. Uh, Michael Amit, you get the Gene Award of the Week. Oh, wow, <laughs> shit. Congratulations. Congratulations to win the, the anonymous Gene Award. I mean, Gene got done for trying to steal the horns away from metalheads, and now Michael Amit stealing the music away from metalheads. And for that, no one else deserves it better than him. Oh, yeah, fair play. All right, let's move on to our listeners' podcast question. Podcast question of the week. We ask our fans every week a question that we want to know the answer to. We don't like doing work. Working is hard. But we do know who loves doing work, and that's our fans. Well, they never really agree to this. We just force it on them. <laughs> it's kind of like when your family takes you to like see the relatives, even though it's like school holidays. Like, yeah. This is my school holidays is my time, mum and dad. You yeah. take me there during like, you take me out of school one day, and we see the relatives. So we got to talking about uh, good old Pete Taggart from Meshuggah, and he wanted to talk about drummers. That influenced him, and we couldn't really be bothered reading that article because I don't really care about Meshuggah anymore. You mean Thomas Hake from Thomas Hake? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh my god, he he's in another band. Oh my god. So we're talking about Thomas Hake from Meshuggah, right? And he was talking about be- uh, drummers that he really, really loves and changed his life, and you know, made him you know put down the gun and pick up some drumsticks or or, or rope if you're into grunge music, right? Yeah. Whatever. Sorry, I me. Mean, I don't like to you know do that stuff. Um. So let's talk to our fans. Let's see musicians that have changed people's lives. And hopefully out there, you can be have your life changed for the better. Or worse, you know, we don't like to prejudice here. You know, whatever you think about these musicians is uh, your feelings. Yeah, actually, I don't think people, too many people went down that worst path, Matt. So, no, nah, they're all touched by the musicians. They want to share yeah. it. But we can share some of right. change down mine sure. as well. Uh, we're going to start from the very, very top with Jamie Jackson. When I first heard Tony Borg, the lead guitarist in Budgie, doing some amazing riffs and solos. I wanted to play like him, but still can't, and I'm still trying. Never give up, Jamie. Yeah, definitely right. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, that's always the hardest thing. It's good to be inspired, but then you sometimes you get to a point where you're like, man, I'm never going to be as good as that guy. Should no. I just like, go back to something else? I remember the case with Virgil Donati, and everyone knows Virgil Donati in the drumming community because he has managed to be so bored of playing conventional drum timing that he will impose different timings on it and eventually it will line up again. And it is literally a boggle to the mind because everyone else thinks he's playing badly, but he's not. He's just transcended time. He literally is a time wizard. So is he like that board of drums? He now plays like a seven-string drum? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Eight-string drum? Yeah. So I can understand people's frustrations because... When you talk to Virgil Dardy, you realize that what he's done his whole life is play drums, and he pretty much talks like a drum, uh, and that's very—it's very much awkward and, and weird. But when you're that good, like literally, I'm sure he could play his drums, and he can get free passes to the movies. Uh, he would get food given to him for free. You know, I'm, I'm surprised he just push it around everywhere. There's like a band behind him, and he's like, "I want free stuff." Um, uh, we're gonna talk about Andre Lopez. He's actually said Peter Tagren. The guy from Hypocrisy. See, I know where he's from. Um, the main influence for the last 17 years for this gentleman. Um, he's a workaholic in music. He's a touring beast. He's also got pain as well as other things going on. And he's a successful producer as well. Guy with many talents and mastering of two of them. Yeah, you're a big fan of Hypocrisy as well. Yeah, yeah. I've at least ripped off three. Sorry, inspired by uh, three or four of their albums. Um, Stuff after Catch-22 for me is the best shizzle and nizzle. I want you guys to go out and check Virus from Hypocrisy if you're into death metal. If you're into melodic death metal, may I suggest End of Disclosure album. You're welcome. Ryan Whittaker. He said Matt Marotti. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, lovely. That 50 bucks paid you well, Matt. He is this tall... Bold guitarist. That's I fell true. in love with him over the summer of 2003. It's also true. Back then, he had lovely long brown hair. That's not true. <laughs> and he used to give me his jacket off at night time when I got cold. One evening, and it goes on to give me a sensational blowjob after that. Wow. It's very interesting. Yeah. We talked about a wombat and everything. So um, I want you guys to go into the wall and like his comment. Uh, it's quite lovely. And it goes on. I mean, this Matt Brody guy sounds like a complete tool. Yeah, yeah. I... Uh, I really hope that he's doing really badly with his podcasting. And uh, hey, I'm sure his brother's, hey. brother's shoulders are very strong from carrying him the whole time through it. Um, Leah Masson, David Bowie, because David Bowie. he's the babe with the power. What power? The power of voodoo. Who do? I know my labyrinth. I'm sorry, we still speak English now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the magician that is David Bowie, known as the pop goddess or god he did that whole like weird trance thing through the 70s i think and then he kind of like did his thing he's he had a lot of drugs and they worked really well for him 
Yeah, no, that's yeah, okay. Matthew Owen with Limp Biscuit. Wow, big nice band. They may say they kept metal going through the nineties with the whole new metal scene. It was kind of staying adopted. The grunge. A lot scene. of metal heads believe that that kind of killed metal for a bit. Well, yeah, because the grunge scene was kind of taking over. This was the only mainstream metal, and then. Early 2000s, there wasn't much metal. And then now it's picking up again with the hardcore scene, metalcore. Metalcore. Uh, Kaya Elliott, shout out to Hoagie. Now, we've got a lot of fun about Hoagie stories, don't we, Danny? But one in particular, uh, he is. Who is Andrew Hoag for those who are listening? Andrew Hoag is us. We are. No. <laughs> Andrew Hoag is a great uh, drummer from the old place called Melbourne. Contrive is his band. Contrive is his band. They've got the new album, I think, it's being released the start of September. But his greatest contribution to metal, at least the heavy metal community and the hard rock community, is his 24-7 rock metal radio station. Yeah, Andrew Hogue, man. Lovely. Every Monday night, he does all new uh, Australian music, and Tuesday night, he does all new overseas music. It is a radio station, for those of you who don't know. And um, if you would have listened to it about two years ago, you would have heard me and Daniel stumbling on the air to hear us being on live. It was hilarious. It was probably the highlight of our podcasting career. It was this funniest moment. I've never heard him laugh like that ever before and even talked to him ever since. So I'm guessing that's for another reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) Mitch Ramsey, Rage Against the Machine. First angry music I listened to growing up made me want to voice my problems and concerns. My mother banned me from listening to them while she was at home because it made her made him rebel rebel wow yeah. his really? mum was like dude you're getting too serious you're getting too intense for my liking hey I won't do what you tell me mum well I owned the household so you're doing what I'm telling you alright fine there's an interesting point I actually had a mate of mine who um, was allowed to watch South Park because the mum believed that Sim- Simpsons morals were too unethical and the storylines were too crazy but let him watch South Park and he never, because she watched one episode of each and got the worst Simpsons and the best South Park oh, episode. That's awesome. So what you need to do is subject your parents to the best of the band. It's like, see, that's Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. You know what I mean? And for death metal, they're always doing one acoustic song for at least 10 seconds. So just show your mum that. So this is what I listed. This is Cannibal yeah. Corpse. We did yeah. Omafage last year. And like, yeah, track six is like this beautiful acoustic section with Fleshcop Fleshcop he does one song so it's a piano instrumental yeah there yeah. you go there you go your problem's been solved um, Daniel Cedarblad with David Gilmore uh, gee big name in the, in the metal industry I guess he taught me that raw emotion can be purged through the fingertips if I'm sad I play some sad music and it takes the edge off unfortunately pure love doesn't disappear from my fingertips by playing scales really fast so I'm still fat wow Way to be harder on yourself than I could be about uh, certain singers, that's for sure, Danny. Yeah, definitely right. I mean, to be fair, like Dave Gimmel for Pink Floyd wasn't really the um, most technical of like fast fast guitar playing, so it's hard for you yeah. to lose weight. You need cardio. Cardio helps you lose the weight, so you gotta you got to increase that speed, man. Yeah, see, the thing is, is that he only played Tasty Licks. He never ate Tasty Licks. <laughs> so, so for those metal musicians out there, you can't eat talent. Chicken is not a way of inspiration. No, not like Buckethead. Apparently, no. no. <laughs> he never actually ate the chickens in Buckethead. Ah, uh, is that right? He, he did it as like a symbol. Like, you don't need to eat the chicken. You just need to wear the chicken. No, what he did, just went to KFC and like grabbed all the chicken, get all the grease of his fingers, and that helped him like slide up the scales. Josh Rigby, Tim Giddings is his answer. And not for the better. You would know these guys as Arcadia. These guys have a band together. And apparently, passive-aggressive nature works in the internet right now. Uh, should we tell Timmy? Uh, I'm pretty sure he already knows. Yeah, I'm pretty sure when the guy looks, he's like, hey man, stop looking at me like that. All right, Danny, it's time for you to fess up. Tell your fans out there, musicians that have changed your life for the better or for the worse. Uh, look, worse is pretty much when I see pop musicians make millions and millions of dollars and I don't write their own songs and I don't even sing live. And I'm like, you literally getting paid mega bucks just to be like a model. And that really... To be a painting. Yeah, and it really is frustrating. So that... That that's like an attack on the scene, all right. For metal musicians or just musicians, which just have inspired me. Um, I guess the first ones would have to be like Ian Gillen from Deep Purple. It's pretty much the first band I la- loved, first band I got into. So him and Richie Blackmore are definitely there. Mm. Um, then more inspiration along the way, of course, Ronnie James Dio, yeah, and then Russell Allen. So they're like the biggest singers which I've um, gone through. I would like to think that uh, best musicians that have attributed to my thing would be actually Richie Blackmore was the start because we grew up on Rainbow and Deep Purple. Literally, it'd be playing all the time. So would be Black Sabbath, but I'd be more familiar with the Rainbow songs. I think I think they were naturally just played more from my memory, um, from what I remember. 
uh, dad's favorite song at the time was that uh, Ode to Joy, which is a cover. I'm sure he played it at least 3,000 times, and I thought it was great. Uh, and little did I know it was like all great music ripped off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then it would move on. Then I was kind of like in a ditch for a while going to punk music, and through there I was like, nah, I need to go heavier. And uh, Metallica and Pantera, they got it into me. What was the best one was Opeth because they combined such an array of sound that was really unfamiliar to me at the time, but I knew that's where metal could go. And then it wasn't until I would meet Jeff Loomis. when I did meet him, but after I actually heard him, and that was when it all changed. It was like, okay, this is what it, the level is for people, is to be an incredible solo musician, but also just display your raw talent as an actual musician through great stories in song in songs you know storytelling through songwriting um worst ah oh, look i think there's just uh moments of a metal which is just great like that i think aren't tremendously good like power metal vocals <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. i just hear that tone i'm like oh it just hits that nerve in me but i can really dig it because i really like it um, as far as the pop industry, I just don't pay attention to it. Uh, I think the best thing I can do for my life is if something really genuinely upsets me is just don't look. Simpsons, man, I can't believe people forgot about it. Maybe because everything after the like the 11th season sucks, but uh, everything you need to learn is in like season five to nine or ten or something. Yeah, so. three to nine, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I really think want to thank our fans out there who went to Facebook and uh, disclosed them part of themselves, and hopefully. Yeah. You people out there realize how bad Matt Marotti is at playing guitar. I don't know how they got that from speaking. <laughs> but the other thing I was really need to grind my gears, which is about musicians, uh, uh, DJs. You're not musicians. <laughs> you're sound producers sound or sound piece. engineers. Because what you're doing is getting pre-made samples and turning it into a quote-unquote song, which is exactly what sound engineers or sound producers do. That is who you are. You're not musicians. The end. Oh, good rant. Danny. All right, let's go on to our final presentation, the CD review. Anthony L is the band. Transcendence is the album. A Finnish metal band. Is this the first Finnish metal band that we have reviewed, Danny? Honestly, I think so. I don't. Oh, we didn't do Nightwish. That's the only other Nightwish. Night. I think Children of Bodom, I think, are Finnish as well. Oh, yeah. That's it, though. But we haven't reviewed those, no. No, we haven't reviewed those. And if luck would have it, I uh, probably won't either. <laughs> Actually, no, I like Floor Janssen. I'll give her that. Yeah. I'll give her that. But you're busy being like a mother now, you know? Now, a little bit about the band before we go into the album. Uh, they got two albums under them, and the first one was written in 2010 called The Pathway. This is 2017's release now, Seven Year Flux. For a new band, that's a lot of downtime. That is a lot of downtime. I'm not sure if they had side projects or like Finland was snowed in for like the last seven years, and they've just like seen light now. They all look, they look in of age they're yeah. like mid 40s rounds so this could just be like a side project to guys get around have a bit of fun they got enough coin to release an album who knows and like the times growing up through it you can tell these guys wear their inspiration on their sleeve i'm very much progressive melodic metal progressive i guess is the word i want to really address here neoclassical influences perhaps um, a lot about fantasy, life and harmony if you call it to the encyclopedia metillium but the influence is what we want to talk about and i guess for us, we can definitely hear those influences. Oh, you'll definitely hear them. Yeah, you have one is like definitely Dream Theater and Symphony X, and these are both like early Dream Theater Symphony X. So, Methodology Suite Five with uh, Dream Theater around images and words type thing with uh, Dream Theater. I got that right. Canvas, I? yes, and Rush definitely though. That kind of feel of it. it's yeah. a very happy tone though it really feels like a lot of it isn't in that darkness that i think some of the more progressive bands these days have moved towards um one thing i want to get into before we talk about the album is the main songwriter tim niamisto his uh, guitarist slash backing vocals um his handwriting from many parts basically he's um he takes a basic idea and song structure and then he gets the um and then he ends up, then he goes to the band members as well so it's really his boat it's really his ship that he's steering and uh, Vikings ship. What a Finish. ship this is, Danny. Let's talk about the album itself, Transcendence. First album was a bit. It took me off guard a bit. I got to be honest. It didn't feel like even for a progressive metal album. It feels like a very Pink Floydy kind of thing to do, where it's an acoustic track and it kind of doesn't give you any momentum going into it. But it is a start of a voyage, perhaps. Maybe like Lord of the Rings. Like it's a nice start. Yeah. I mean, they, they, yeah, the first track. They, you're right. It, it, it doesn't sound like it's a first track. It should be like after like a really heavy song. Or at the end of an album because it's quite of like soft white noises. Yeah, and it's only really the last what couple of bars where it has a bit of increased intensity to 
throw you into the next track, which to be fair, that's what they do quite well in the songs, how they transition Not between um, song to song. It does have that progressive feel like it's all one bit of string. Yeah. But yeah. But it, yeah, so go on, mate. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it, it is does though. It's not a bad song in saying it. However, these guys have a strong sense of melody, uh, and it does work for them. Um, it's just it's just interesting that they decided that that was the way they would start the album. Normally, with progressive metal these days, it has far more of an ominous feel, and the first track or second track is quite more uh, engaging and a bit more catchier in the sense that it's a heavy riff or whatever. But yeah. hey. No, never mind because all is forgiven when you hear the second track, Danny. Yeah, pretty much. That is probably the only grub I have off the whole album is that first track's position. Not not the song itself, but no. where's position in the album. The rest of the album, man, holy jeez balls. Oh, I, wow. I reckon really love this album. Yeah. yeah. It, wow. It, whether it took seven years or not to write it is irrelevant because we're here to tell you right now that this came out of nowhere. It is an album that if you are a fan of any of those bands we mentioned before from your Dream Theaters to your Symphony X, um, this is the album you need to get because it is a progressive metal masterpiece. Oh, it's got it all. I mean, like in track two, it, it's the heaviest song. Of course, you know, you want to get into heaviest. Well, I mean, heavier for the album. Yeah. So you get the heavy song, you set up a tone, you get the emotions going, you get the power going, drive. It's, it's just yeah, it's great. It gives you that energy and intensity. Yeah. And then, then it the kind ongoing. of dials it down a little bit with the next track where it's got more of a minor feel, much more a classic of the Awake era where it's got that... Um, slightly sadder kind of style but has a great energy about it and the energy for me in the album is really kept constant and I find that with progressive metal where it's so easy to come across um, get off the track you know and come back on it again but these guys really are just so good at just keeping a very light hearted tone that is reminiscent of the old school progressive era but bringing it in with the new style with those chunkier riffs those more staccato guitar lines with palm muted style stuff with the production obviously as well yeah no, it um, right. does well for that doesn't it yeah no, definitely right. even like just the addition of like the strings and orchestra hits and again the Mixing up the tempos and key changes are always a winner. Key changes in every yeah. song needs to happen. <laughs> Whenever you go up that minor second or, or so the major second or the minor third or whatever, and it's just that's it. All of a sudden, the song is now more epic and oh. it is now an anthem. Before it was just a track and now it is one for a country to get behind and die for in their war, which uh, if we are anywhere to believe from the media is uh, strictly imminent, Danny. Yeah, why not? I mean, we got to end sometime, I guess. Yes! But, uh, but this, this album here, I mean, yeah, good. What a way to go out, what eh? What a way to go out. I mean, yeah, again, inside the songs, unfortunately, last week when we um, reviewed Daggio, the, the transitions of putting in there, like gentle stuff, riff stuff, it took away from yeah. songs. But whether this, these song structures, uh, they do the opposite. They Even though they might slow the tempo down or change the rhythm, it actually slowly then builds into the next yeah. segment quite well and actually takes you on that journey. You don't feel like you're interrupted. You feel like, oh, I'm on this boat and I've hit a bit of a wave, but now I've come through it. Yeah. Now, we talked a lot about the song writing itself and the way it, everything seems pretty flawless and seamless with it. But what about the vocalist, Danny? He has a higher range. It's very... It, does it feel like a throwback to you in a sense? Or uh, what do you think of it now that you've been taught for a while? Oh, I, one of the first things I've enjoyed was the guy's tone. Uh, for me, when you have a strong melodies and softer parts and heavier parts, uh, uh, the, the tone of the singer really can stand out. And if you're not enjoying the tone, no matter how good the music is, it's just not going to marry up quite well. And this guy is freaking awesome. Yeah, but it marries oh, up with the, with the lines as well. And that's the one thing I had a problem with Adagio last week. And this is the best thing. We've reviewed a, two progressive metal bands at... Uh, tremendous heights. You know, these guys have written great albums, obviously. Um, but with a DJ where they tried something new and it did not work, these guys obviously have. And um, like you said, the marrying between the vocals. And again, like I was saying last week, they've gone with so much more diversity. When when the singer gets to go high, the band can go up with them because they're not restricted by their... Um, uh, their, their instrumentation, you know? And that was one thing I wanted to say. Like you said, there's so many changing riffs and the techniques there. I mean, they, these guys can shred. These guys are very high musicians and maybe they spent the last seven years practicing to get good enough to play the riffs on this album. It could be it. I mean, you can go back to the singer. He's like, his phrasing and pitching goes well with the guitar lines because the guitar lines, they have that like stuttering or um, syncopated type yeah. riffing. So he sings with it, phrases quite well. He puts a bit of grunt required, a bit of bubbleness when the yeah. song requires. So he, he puts the emotion into it very well. What I like about it though as well is when the tracks start, you're actually getting an unfamiliar territory with each track. You've got your neoclassical track, right? Where it's heavily influenced on those dark, 
brooding kind of like, uh, yeah, arpeggio Paganini kind of whatever, you know. It just sounds familiar of the, uh, the 80s and stuff like that, but in, in a new, fresh design. You've got your Symphony X-inspired Odyssey tracks. You've got your Awakey, um, Metropolis Part 2 kind of thing, Dream Theater inspirations from it as well. But um, there's so many varieties in all of that as well. So it, it's great. I mean, if you're a progressive metalhead and, and you haven't bought this album yet, you're doing yourself a disservice, man, because like these guys can stand toe-to-toe with the guys we just said. Although I do think they fall just short of it because they are very much uh, inspired by their peers. And do they feel? Do you feel this album that separates enough from them, or mm. does it just fall short from being in that league? It is tricky because you're right. You can definitely hear the inspirations, yeah. but there are times where you feel like they've taken a bit away from those inspirations. And I think like the the, the more happy or uplifting parts kind of takes it away from those guys, and yeah. they kind of takes brings it their own element to it um yeah i mean yeah but you're right they do inspire but at least they do it well I yeah mean, like it's 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 not like a direct copy and it's just like oh yeah that sounds like that riff but it, i don't know just they've done it yeah. so well I yeah the, the 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 lick would sound like it but the drumming won't be like oh, that's a you know whatever you know that's definitely from thingo um it's it's good. No, it's it, it borrows the best from those bands at least. So if you're going to copy, it's still their best stuff, and it does that, which is great. So um, it's uh, wow. It, it's hard to talk about why an album is great. It's good, easy to talk about an album's bad. Like we can bitch about a Dodger until we go blue in the face. But um, with this album, it's just like go get it. Like it's got yeah, it every. Just, it works, mate. The thing though, now I with with metal and progressive metal is that when it goes too long, um, it can be hard. And they did go for ambition over anything with the last track. I think mm. that when you're going for 19 minutes worth of material, and they were doing long songs up until that point yeah. as well. Yeah. It's um, it sometimes felt for me that it never hit that moment where sometimes I think Dream Theater build up to. Um, but even for them, they, they kind of fell off the uh, bar doing it with their latest stuff. The early stuff, they did quite well with it. Um, like stuff off of their first album, their second album, Images and Words, they do a lot of that where they, they'll climax to the middle or the second third of the song and do that really cool trade-off with guitars and stuff like that. But I feel like the 19th track was more like a take on Symphony X's Odyssey, where it was like, it was a, it was like a five or a multi-faceted Parter, and I think that was the whole point. Did you agree, Daniel? Do you reckon this is one whole track? I don't think it was. It felt like one whole track. It felt like a part isn't to me. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, in a ninety-minute song, you're always gonna do. Parts, yeah, what but, movements are you gonna do? It's right. Yeah, but look, right. It was very like methodic in its approach, and very like slow, and try to build up the time to have those crescendoing parts. But at the same time, it probably didn't need to be that long. Yeah, I I just, you, you probably could have got away with that. Yeah, you probably just cut it down. I find with metal, if you're doing anywhere between five to ten minutes, it's generally fine. Three to actually, no, look, as long as it's like, you can be nails. So, two minutes a song, I can dig. I think I say wish two minutes. Yeah, exactly. But for them, when you're storytelling, I think anywhere from five to ten minutes is great. You know, in 12 minutes, uh, we're getting up there. Because I think even sometimes Opeth fell into the formula of writing long songs where it was like, yeah, you could have finished the song there or that was filler or whatever, you know. These guys, however, apart from the last track, which you could argue, uh, even f- mostly for me because I don't really get into those long tracks, everything else is just exactly where it needs to be, exactly long enough. And um, yeah, you get to hear great vocals. The guitar lines are sick. The solos are amazing. Again, they've got everything going for them. Um, just a really good time. Yeah, I think track six, they do the whole like, breakdown into chunky move. They goes riff like yeah it's classic like fucking riffing there. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And, yeah, it's got it all. It, it really has. Like everything flows well together um yeah i really enjoyed some quite a, it's definitely top five of the year definitely. oh yeah i can't i can't knock this man yeah uh, we it was funny because we were like grabbing at straws i remember this week trying to find an album to listen to and we're like dude what is it gonna be and then we're like we just heard one song off these guys one one tenth of a song we're like yeah there's something there yeah these guys have got something going on and uh knowing as luck would have it they probably won't get heard by anyone. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the biggest shame in the world, isn't it? Yeah. But they've actually got a... Um, the in thing at the moment is uh, lyrical film clips. So they've got a lyrical film clip out, which is... This is what everybody's doing these you days. You want to know why? Nah. I did some research and guess how much they cost for a five-minute one? No, no idea. Three, four hundred bucks. Wow, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's a bargain. So, and that's the thing. You can get a decent one too for that price, you know. One of the better ones, uh, better uh, publishers in Australia can do it for you. Um, the best thing is obviously for social media right now, you need it. You need to have a visual medium because 
if you're looking through, if you're scrolling through a Facebook and you're seeing all these people's comments, you're like, dude, who cares? Like, yeah, you so you hate you hate guys. Yeah, tomorrow you'll be like on top of three of them, right? Um, but with that, when you see a picture going on, and if it's good, you're gonna be like, okay, bang. Yeah. It's easy, you know. Especially these guys, they got such strong melodies as well, and throughout the verse and the chorus, you want to sing along to them. So having a lyric video for guys like this actually works quite well. Um, yeah. That's great. No, so uh, a very strong recommendation um, for progressive metalheads. Um, I think those who have grown up with the whole thing um, really screams out to you. I think this is f- uh, by uh, by fans for the fans kind of thing. You know, it really is a paying homage to the greats, and uh, they had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, who here's to hopefully, I think, generally with metal bands, I think when you get to the third or fourth album, you really you bring across all those. Um, melting pots so you're with, the, you're with the boys a while you've got a familiar tone for their writing and stuff and you really start to find your own niche in it so I really would love these guys to make more of a habit of this and getting more albums out at a faster rate because yeah. um, could you imagine like if these guys release five or six to ten albums like yeah, their best work's coming you know it their best work's coming but it is a brutal scene out there and especially for bands that um, play at such a style that it is, can be challenging for some people yeah, you're right. It is a shame because the songs are quite long. It, it's hard to get radio play. But then again, who knows? In Europe, they're different. They like the stuff and they like longer songs. They have stations dedicated to heavy metal, so they have more yeah, of a chance. We don't have a station. We have like a, a set time that you might find metal on yeah. if you uh, pray to the gods correctly. Apart from Andrew Hogue Radio, yeah. 24-7 Rock and Metal Radio. Yeah, and there's a reason why he is the number one guy to go to because I, I, can you imagine doing anything for 24 hours a day? I can't. And we've talked about this before, so uh, good for him, I guess. Yeah. So, um, anything else you want to add before the album's finished, Danny? Well, just like in the in the words of Anthreal, with the sign of fire, let it light my way through this everlasting, endless darkness. And that's the end of our show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I have been Superman, brother Matt, and I've been Superman, brother. Dan. Feel free to check us out on the Facebook.com, Facebook.com forward slash Superman Bro, or join us on Twitter. Until next week. I've been Superman, brother Dan. All right. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>